My name is Tom Shirk. I'm on staff at this church in another campus, and it is my delight to be here today with you. If you and I haven't met, I'd love to meet you. Um, I'm not usually on this campus, but I am today, and I want to begin by introducing my wife, Lucy, who's here, and uh, she's been my partner in the ministry for a long time. Good to have you with us. And uh, I also want to say, because I'm not normally here, how thankful I am for the team that makes things happen here on this campus. And uh, I was talking to some of the volunteers who have stepped in, moved over from Erie, and I'm just so delighted that many of you have jumped on the rope here and helped as volunteers. And then our staff to Zach and Emily, so glad you're, you're here, and Dakota, and Matthew, and who else am I missing, Denise, and... Justin for leading us in worship this morning. Thank you. It's very cool for me, having been at Calvary Bible Church for a long time over a lot of different scenarios, to come in here and watch what God's doing. And I just want to say to you, if you hang around here and um, keep in step with the Holy Spirit and, and be taught by the Bible, you're going to be a part of something that is really cool for years to come. Makes me uh, excited to think about what will happen in this campus and in the years ahead in this city. Um, I, I just saw somebody who usually comes to the Boulder campus. He said, I live across the street, so I'm not coming to Boulder anymore. I said, darn. <laughs> and uh, I remember you guys were in Boulder, then you were in Erie, and now you're here. And I just love what's happening at Calvary Bible Church in these three locations. We're unite, we're different because of our context. And we're good with that. Every city is different. So Thornton's not Boulder and Boulder's not Erie. And God has raised up the church in each of these three contexts to be his church and represent him in the place that he's put us. What he's going to do in this city because of the faithfulness of people who declare Jesus Christ as Lord is going to be awesome. And I hope you will quickly get on the rope and just start pulling and say, Lord, what do you want to have happen here? Because what you want to do here is not a human thing. It's a God thing. It has been that way from the very beginning. And it's sort of up to us to keep saying to God, it's about you. It's about what you want to do. What do you want to do in the city of Thornton through all of us as we just say, God, do, do what brings you glory. Because the planting of a church like this is just exactly what happens in the Bible. After the resurrection of Jesus, he called his apostles together and he said, I want you to go into all the world and preach the gospel. And I want you to plant churches in every city and raise up leaders, elders who will lead the church and protect the church. And the church will become the place where I do my thing. The church is not about any one of us, especially me, especially Zach, or especially about any of the founding people who have been here the longest. Who's it about? I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Who said that? It's Jesus. This is about Christ and making him known in the world. So when we open our Bibles and we study this book of 1 Thessalonians, it's not surprising then that the name of Jesus is referred to a number of times, like he's our Lord Jesus Christ. And last week when we looked at their work of faith and their labor of love and the steadfastness of their hope, all of those qualities that made the church in Thessalonica 
a really unique church. Their faith and hope and love were in the Lord Jesus Christ. And it doesn't, you can't have those things without Jesus, right? So that's the church there. Um, I appreciate that last week was the introduction. Today we're going to look at verse 4, but I thought it would be helpful for me to read. It's already been read. But verse 2 is helpful, but not on the screen. And it says this, We give thanks to God always for you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers. Remembering before God, the Father, our Father, your work of faith, and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. And then the next statement he says in verse four, having that's the quality of that church, hope, faith, and love. And then in verse four, he continues and says, for we know brothers loved by God that he has chosen you. So Paul is saying something here, and um, I've been wondering how hard I should press in on this, but I want to press in on it because I want the Bible to speak to you for what it says. Paul says, I remember you in my prayers, I remember who you are, and I know, I know for we know, brothers loved by God, that he has chosen you. And he tells this church in Thessalonica, God elected you, chose you for salvation. Let's take a minute and just explore what that means. God is the source of salvation. Is that not right? Salvation belongs to the Lord. And I want you to know that when Paul says of this church in this city, uh, he chose you, he uses a word in passing, but it underscores the identity of any Christian Anyone who has become a follower of Christ has been chosen by God to be so. Would you like to have a couple scriptures that fortify that? Maybe you write this down in your journal. I know one of the downsides of having a journal is you bring the journal, you don't bring the rest of your Bible. And I want you to look at a couple other places in the Bible. But if you don't have your big Bible, and you just have your little skinny one, right in the, right in the margin these verses. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 3. To the church in another city, Ephesus, Paul said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us to adoption as sons. If you're looking at that verse, the spiritual blessings that God gave to us is that he chose us in Christ before the world ever was. I don't know if you, you, you can follow this, but 
You were in the mind of God. If you know Jesus as your Savior, you were in God's mind before there was a mountain in Colorado. What do you say to that? It's amazing. But God chose us in him before the foundation of the world. And he chose us in him by his grace altogether. Jesus said in John chapter 15 and verse 16, you didn't choose me, but I chose you that you should bear fruit and go forth. That's what he did. In John chapter 6 and verse 44, Jesus said, no man can come unto the Father, can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up in the last day. In Acts chapter 13 and verse 48, um, the preaching of the apostles is recorded this way. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began to rejoice and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to salvation, believed. What's the Bible saying? The Bible saying that in, in some strange way, we become a Christian because God has chosen us to be a Christian. And why is that offensive to many people? It's offensive to many people because it gives all the glory for salvation to God. And many of us work our way to get in position where God would say, you're good enough, I'll save you. And that is not the way it works. How does it work? All we like sheep have gone astray. There are none righteous, no, not one. All of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And he saves us by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And everybody said, I mean, it has to be the response that we say, wow, God is amazingly gracious to us, that he chose us. So verse four says, we know, brothers, you're loved by God for he chose you. He chose you. Now, does that raise any questions for you that you want to talk about before we move on? Because I would just as soon talk about it. I want, you to, I want this to be a source of encouragement to you. It's often not a source of encouragement because some people say, well, what does he do with others? You ever ask that question? And that question is a good question. And the starting point for that is what I just said. Who deserves salvation? Who's worthy of eternal judgment from God? Everybody, all have sinned. That he saved some for the glory of his grace is a mystery to us that we do not know. What's the other side of the way the Bible talks about being saved? That we should also declare in equal weight as we have been chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world. The Bible clearly says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And God so loved the world that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but find everlasting life. And we call this an antinomy where two apparently contradictory truths are declared in the Bible and our brains say, how does this fit together, God? And we don't know how it's actually all gonna work out. And sometimes it's difficult to make it work out, but this is what we know is that it is gonna work out just fine. And it's not a confusing thing in the mind of God. And someone has said, a great preacher of old has said that we call people to come to Jesus Christ to be saved as if there's a banner over heaven that says, whosoever will 
may enter. And you enter through that banner that says, whosoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And you go into it. And then you look back over and on the inside, it says, elect from before the foundation of the world. It's like, how does that fit together? I'm not exactly sure, altogether. But this is what I cling to. God has chosen us in him for his own glory. He chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we might be holy and blameless before him to the praise of his glory and his grace. Is that not great? Now, if you want to see what Paul does here, when he says in verse 4, he, um, i got to go back to 1 Thessalonians, sorry. 1 Thessalonians 1, 4, he says, For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you. How do we know that the Thessalonians were chosen by his grace? Verse 5 and verse 6 and following tell us. One reason is, verse 5, because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. And you know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake. Paul says, I know you've been chosen by God. And one of the reasons I know is verse five is because when we came preaching to you, we were preaching not with words that men use, but with power and power in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. He actually attributes a sense of certainty that they truly had come to know Jesus because the preaching that happened was the preaching of, if you're underlining, the gospel. The gospel was clearly preached, not with human words, but with power power of the Holy Spirit and conviction with a sense that when the preaching happened, the Holy Spirit was working in the preacher and working in the listener. And by the way, this is what we pray happens here. And just so you know, it's like my heart and prayer for our church as we get ready for Sunday every week is that I'm praying that I will be an instrument of the Holy Spirit, broken and frail and fallen, though redeemed as I am, I want to be an instrument of the Holy Spirit when I open the Bible and say, this is what God says, and I want to compel you to take it seriously. And at the same time that I'm speaking, because I think I have a gift that God has given, you be the judge, uh, at the same time that I'm being praying to be an instrument, I'm praying that the Holy Spirit is working in your heart at this very moment while the word is being opened and your eyes are on the page of the Bible and in your heart, you are saying, God, did you really say this? That the Holy Spirit is working in the preaching of the gospel so that people's lives will be changed. This is what Thornton needs. The preaching of the gospel. Let's take a moment and make sure we understand what the gospel is. Anybody want to define it? Want me to? It's what? Okay. We're going to lose these masks one day, I pray. I can't quite hear that. I'm getting older. <laughs> first Corinthians 15 says, Paul, Paul said, I delivered unto you first importance that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins 
according to the scriptures and he was buried. And on the third day, he rose again, according to the scriptures. The gospel is about Jesus, that Jesus died for our sins and was buried and was raised by God. That's the good news that sinners can have their sins forgiven by the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus. That's the message. When it's proclaimed in the ears of sinners and they hear Jesus died for me, yes. The problem today is that most people don't think they're sinners. We're drifting away from the clear pro proclamation of the gospel because most people today think they're good enough that God would love them. And I think this is one of the reasons why people don't know for sure that they're saved. Remember, Paul said to the Thessalonian church, I know you're chosen by God because the gospel we preached, we preached in power of the Holy Spirit with full conviction. You know what kind of people we were among you for your sakes. We were doing this not for our sakes, but for your sakes, that you would hear the true gospel message that you are a sinner and you're on your way to hell unless God saves you. Where do you hear that? People don't want to hear that they're sinners, but unless you understand you're sinners, you can't be saved. Paul preached the gospel of Jesus Christ that there were sinners who needed to repent of their sins and be saved. And then when that happens, you can know for sure that you're saved. One of the problems today is that the gospel is taught by people who could never say, you know what kind of man I am among you, I was, I was a godly man for your sakes. There are too many preachers in the world who preach not for the sake of the congregation, but for their sake. And they're making themselves rich with a gospel that is not the gospel of Jesus. And all you need to do is turn on the TV and see somebody in a slick suit who's asking you to give more and telling you that God exists to make you happy and your dreams can be fulfilled in the best life you could possibly have today. That's what God is here for, for you in that way. And that is not the gospel that Paul preached. And there were preachers in his day that were charlatans as we have today who preach a different gospel so people give them lots of money. They become very wealthy. And the whole sense of being the need to repent because I'm a sinner before a holy God is lost. I can't tell whether well, you're gritting your teeth or your smile. Okay, I just want you to know, Paul said, I know you belong to God. I know you're chosen. How do I know? Because when we came, we preached the true gospel of Jesus with power and the Holy Spirit was in it and there was full conviction. And you know that we were talking about you for your sakes that you would repent of your sins and trust in him. I pray that in this pulpit, in this campus, and every one of our campuses, we will always say that the gospel message is the message that saves. Remember Romans 1.16? I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes. Unless you preach the gospel, People might believe something that you say, but you can't be saved apart from the gospel that tells you you're a sinner lost without Christ. You need Christ. You need to believe in him. Does that make sense? So we preach the gospel. That's what Paul said. I know you're chosen because we preach the gospel there. And secondly, verse six says, 
And you, on your part, you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. Okay, what happened on their part that Paul could say, I know God's chosen you. We preached the full gospel and you received it. This is a sense belief, faith is required. In order for a person to have salvation, you have to have faith that these things are real and true. Um, I, I believed, you believed, he says. You received the word in much affliction. Wouldn't you agree that some of the times of our life that have the greatest affliction are the times that we become the most open to saying, God, if you're there, will you speak to me? How many of you came to Christ in a hard time in your life? Okay, how many of you came to the Lord as a child? Have you had any hard times since then? Yeah. And you came to the Lord as a child, and it's the hard times sometimes that say, man, is this stuff real? Is God really there? Why am I going through this hard time? I love that the Bible writes about this church, a church just like ours, that they believe, they received the word about the gospel in much affliction. And I just wanna say, if you're in a really hard time in your life right now, and the question you're asking God is, are you there and are you really involved in my life? I want you to know that indisputably, God often works in hardship to open our hearts to say, I am not enough, I need Jesus. They received it in affliction and with great joy in the Holy Spirit. And by the way, you can now see that what Paul said in verse five, I came preaching in the power of the Holy Spirit. And then he says of them, they received the word by the ministry of the Holy Spirit. You see that? The Holy Spirit in the speaker and the Holy Spirit in the listener. And God awakens the heart to believe in him so that Paul could say, I know you believe in Jesus. I know you're chosen. I know you are a Christian because you did that. And then you became examples to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth in everywhere so that we don't have to say anything. And then he just, he says, one of the evidences is not only in the preacher and not only in the reception, but in what happens in the church when it begins to replicate what God did in them so that their hearts begin to say, I, I wanna make God known in the world. This is a really cool witness, isn't it? Of a church that's transformed. They're in Thessalonica, but around in Macedonia and then in Achaia and all around the place, people say, hey, those Thessalonians are really changed people. How cool would it be in Thornton for there to be people in the apartments next door who said, there's something about that church over there. I don't know what it is. I've been hearing stories about some of the things that are happening in our community, in schools, in the clinic, in the ways we're, we're trying to make connections. You're trying to make connections in our neighborhood. I love that. What do we want this world to say? There's something about that church that their faith in God is going out beyond 120th. It's going out into Thornton and into all the towns around. Wouldn't that be cool? That, that's the pattern. And when we do that, that we're actually fulfilling Matthew 28, 19, 20, go into all the world and preach the gospel. 
and make disciples of all the world. Paul is saying you are an example of that. That word example has the idea of um, striking something with a blow so that what is on this is on that. That's how the, the word began. So it's an imprint. Maybe my fist is not the good example, but it's like a, a printing press and something comes down and oh, there's the stamp, it's the image. It's stamped out, it's a copy. And that's all it is, it's the copy. And the Thessalonians were being modeled after Paul. You became imitators of us. Paul could rightly say, follow me as I follow Christ. You became imitators of us, but ultimately of us and the Lord and the Lord is the image that we're being stamped out in, right? Not me, not Zach, not any of us, but we are instrumental, all of us. Could I stop for a second? All of us in this room who know Jesus are instrumental in stamping into other people, making a mark, saying, follow me as I follow Christ whether that's our family, our children, our colleagues, our, our children in our children's department. Like we need teachers who will step up and say, I wanna put a mark on a kid to say, this is who Jesus is. Follow me as I follow Christ. And we all do that to some extent. That's what we wanna have happen. That's why actually over here making disciples what's a disciple it's a follower it's someone who gets what you're doing and follows me you became an imitators of us as we were imitators of christ and now it's gone over all the world and the summary statement is verses 9 and 10. verses 9 and 10 paul says for everyone around they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you People are saying to Paul and the others, Silvanus and Timothy, man, when you were in Thessalonica, they totally responded to the gospel. And they said of the Thessalonians, how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. This is a summary statement of what it means to be a Christian, by the way. And the way in which Paul could say, I know you belong to God. I know you're chosen. I know you're part of his elect, redeemed people. Why? You turned from idols. What's the biblical word for that? Repent. Repent. Turn around, change. You turn from idols to serve the living and true God not a false god, and there were all kinds of idols in, in the first century in this culture. Uh, it was a pagan and idol-filled world. Thankfully, we don't have idols today, right? Right. This is always the pattern of belief. What has to happen for someone to really come to Christ? There has to be a turning away from a former life of affection and love for something less than the one true God. So, when Paul said, I know you're chosen, because two things happened. You received the word, that's faith, and believed it. And you repented by turning your life away from false things, 
pagan values, godless things, to the one true God, and then to wait for his son from heaven. Don't you love that? And you have to imagine, because they were in this great affliction, and this is hard for Americans to get in our heads, but to wait for the son from heaven is literally what some of them were doing, knowing that they were probably going to lose their lives. It's hard for us to comprehend. Because what are you waiting for? Me to finish? Lunch? Retirement? Marriage? I'm waiting for grandkids, and I am. I'm waiting for vacation. I'm waiting for COVID to end. There's a whole litany of things that we say, that's what I'm really waiting for. The, the first century, what were they waiting for? Because they really had an understanding that this life is short and we're waiting for the son from heaven, Jesus whom God raised from the dead. And there's the gospel presented again. Jesus whom God raised from the dead. He's coming to deliver us from the wrath to come, which seems to indicate that there will be a future judgment that those who belong to Christ will not experience because they have fled to Jesus as their Savior. They're going to escape the wrath of God that will be revealed against sin and sinners who have rejected him. When's the last time you heard that, too? There's a lot of things in this text that I look at and say, can you preach that in 2021 to a church? How hungry is a church to have? This is what the Bible says. Can you take that? Do you want that? Okay, that's the foundation of Calvary, by the way. Like that's just, if it's in there, we want to say it and we want to embrace it and say that's our foundation. Is it offensive to some people that you say, unless you know Jesus Christ as your savior, you're going to experience the eternal judgment of God Absolutely, that's offensive. But you know what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 2? He, he said, my preaching to you was simply this. We preach Christ crucified. That is a stumbling block to people. But we didn't come to you with the words of men. We came to you with the demonstration of the Holy Spirit and the power of God. That's the message of the gospel. Now, I'm going to close. But my heart for you is that you would know you're saved. Paul said to the Thessalonians, I know you're chosen. I know you belong to God. Here's how I know you will be saved. You have just heard the gospel that Christ died for sins, and maybe you've heard it many times. Number one, have you believed it? And have you turned to God away from other things? If you have, I know you're chosen. I know you're saved. And in today's world of trouble, we need assurance of salvation. We need to go through hard times knowing that whatever happens, if my life falls apart and they come after churches like ours, what do I know for sure? I'm waiting for the sun from heaven is going to deliver me from the wrath to come. I know that. And I know nothing. Oh, here's another one. What shall separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus? Answer? nothing who shall lay a charge against god's elect is chosen if god is for us who can be against us 
I know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who are called according to his purpose. When you are, when you know you're, you belong to him because he has saved you, it is the most beautiful place to be. And how is it expressed? You've turned to God to serve the living and true God. You've turned away from things to serve him. So there's a couple things I'd like to do this morning. I'd like to call you to sort of look at this text and say, I know him, I belong to him. What's the expectation of my life? I believe him, I turn to him, I serve him, and I do it here. And I'm going to be a part, I wanna ask you to be a part of this community of people who stamp out an example. This is what it means to follow Christ. I'm not perfect, but I'm, I'm following my pastor. He's not perfect either, but he's following Paul. He's not perfect either, but who's he following? Jesus, and he's perfect. We're all imperfect, but we follow a perfect savior, and we wanna make him known in Thornton and beyond. You with me? All right, let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, I thank you for the privilege of opening the Bible and hearing the words that you have recorded for us. And I pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you will help us take them to mind as you desire us to today. I pray for somebody here today who's never repented of their sins and turned to God and believed in the message of the gospel that Christ died for them. I pray by the power of your Holy Spirit, you'll open their hearts to believe in you. I pray for all of us, maybe many of us in this room have known you for many years, and today our hearts have just been encouraged to say, I know you've chosen us for no merit of our own. By grace, we've been saved through faith. What a gift. And now, Lord, I pray that you'll, you'll help us to serve you and to be an example to those beside us, around us, to those behind us as our children and grandchildren, so that they might follow Jesus and believe in him. And I do pray that the message of the truth and transforming grace of Jesus would reverberate all around this church building into the neighborhoods around this church and all of the city of Thornton. And I pray that from this place, there will be just a clear, humble, um, happy joy of the Holy Spirit announcement that Jesus Christ saves sinners. And I pray that you'll begin to change the world one life at a time through this church. For your glory and yours alone, we all pray together. Everybody said, Amen.